absolutely thrilled to get to, to get to hang out with you guys. I um, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, well, let me just first say this: um, when Michael introduced me, he really kind of built me up, and and there's nowhere to go but down from that, and so. I uh, just, I just, like, I, I wish I could say something to help, like, lower the standard, like, lower the bar, the expectation, so, there you go, I just did. Um, just set it a lot lower, and then you won't be too disappointed, it'll be really fun, we'll have a, we'll have a good time. Um, I, I, uh, I grew up uh, on the west coast of the United States, uh, California and Oregon, uh, my wife is from Alaska. And uh, we met and moved to Minnesota in the mid-80s. You know, both of us, uh, absolutely at that point in our lives, we absolutely loved Jesus. I mean, we just, like, we were sold out for following Jesus uh, with every single part of our lives. But I, I got to tell you, at that, at that point, we had been in some pretty conservative church circles, um, you have to use your imagination, but I had really long, curly hair. And what's so funny? I did. And, and uh, I rode motorcycles, and I'm a drummer, and I played in bands. And like, I just did not really fit in to the church circles that I had kind of been a part of. I didn't grow up going to church. It wasn't until late in high school that uh, there's this one girl, Shelly, I really wanted to date. And she said, the only place you could take me to church. And I said, you know, screw I can't say what I said. <laughs> well, I inherited Michael's filter. That's good. I did. It worked. That was on the first night that we did the sauna? Wow. I don't remember it like that. <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't remember like they really happened. And, uh, but, um, gosh, that totally distracted me. Where was I? Oh, and so... So eventually, she, she and her friends who were part of this youth group you know, introduced me to Jesus, and it was this really cool group of people, but then there were like, I don't know if you've experienced this sometimes, but there are like so many like cultural norms I'd never experienced. There are so many different kinds of rules and so many different kinds of things, and like I just felt like I got tossed into this other culture that was super weird, and and uh, growing up on the west coast of our country, I'd never had a conversation about God with anybody until you know that fall of my 17th year as senior in high school. And, um, and, 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 and like, this was absolutely radical to me. It changed my life. And, and so when we moved from, and then I made my living for a number of years. I studied uh, in Bible college and seminary and theology and and then I went to art school, <laughs> and life got really fun. I loved it. And, and, um, and, and then, like, to me, like, like, all of life, all of everything that I studied, everything I was doing, I could see Jesus' hand in, like, just this incredibly cool stuff. So we met Brenda. We moved out to Minnesota in the mid-'80s, 87 or so, and we met some guys that were planting a vineyard church. And I'd never heard of this group I'd never heard anything about the vineyard. I knew nothing about what we were doing. And we went to this little small group meeting that they invited us to, and they pop in this video, um, old VHS video of a guy named John Wimber. And I thought it was like Kenny Rogers or something like that, you know. And he starts telling his story. And in his story, I heard my story. And in his longings, I felt the longings of my heart just being rekindled and and over a few months and you know, weeks and months uh, and even like several years uh, of interacting uh, with this group and helping to plant vineyard churches, I, I discovered like who God had made me to be along the way, a very creative, musical, artistic pastor. Like I never wanted to do what we're doing right here where I stand in front of people and talk about God. That was like never on my list of things in school. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to stand in front of people and talk about God. That was not on the list, right? And, and as I've experienced him and as he's radically changed my life, like, I, like this is just such a really cool opportunity, a cool thing. And I do believe, as was, was just shared, that like God's hand is on this evening. And I think tomorrow as well, but on this evening, God's hands on this thing, and, and like, he wants us to experience him in like a, 
like a really cool way that goes deep, deep, deep in our lives. And, and so this isn't just a, like a simple little pizza get-together. This is like a divine appointment, I think, for some stuff that God wants to do. And you're here for a reason. You know, I think before the foundations of the earth were laid, Ephesians 1, God knew that we'd be here today. And uh, he's got some stuff for us. So we called this thing the battlefield. I've never been on a real battlefield at all. I think I've drawn pictures of them. In fourth grade, I actually won an award in my fourth grade class for the best drawing, and it was a battlefield thing. And so I decided to bring somebody with me who's actually been on a battlefield just because I felt so out of place. And I want to introduce you guys to a guy named Clint. Clint, why don't you stand up and just say hi to everybody. Clint uh, served in the National Guard and uh, served in the Army and uh, was actually on a battlefield. We were talking about it, like drove through battle place, didn't you? So yes, very short time, yeah. And uh, that's closer than me, though, so there you go. You win. And, um, but here's, here's what I want to talk about. Life, the life that we live is a bit like that kind of a battlefield. I was talking to a friend of mine, um, whom you, you may have heard of. He pastors a little church near here, Columbus Vineyard. And uh, I, was, I was talking to him, and we were, we were talking about this whole idea of there's times in our lives where it really does feel like we're the only team on the field. Like in following Jesus, we're the only team on the field. And like things just seem to go really easy for us for like about, I don't know, seven or eight minutes right as we're waking up. And then there's other times where it's really clear that we're not the only team on the field. Isn't that right? I don't know what kinds of sports you've played. I've played a few of them. And uh, I'll never forget my, my first real football game where there was defense. And it's like, you know, because you can practice catching pass. I was the guy running down the field, you know, really fast and throw my body up there and try to catch a pass. And it's like really fun when there's no defense. Like, you just have a blast doing that. But the first time that there's a defensive helmet in your chest cracking ribs, and you can't even remember why you're on the field anymore, and you're calling out for mommy, it's like, it's a whole different feeling when all of a sudden you run into the defense. You run into another team on the field. And this whole deal of following Jesus is a lot like that. And this whole deal, for me, of being a, a husband and being a father to my three amazing kids who I don't know why they ganged up on me, but they all got married last year, like all three of them. I don't pray that on my best. Well, actually, I do. I pray that for all of you. It was so much fun. <laughs> Save now. <laughs> Set aside money now. We did all three, no debt. That's kind of fun. I like that. Of course, you know, they got cookies and cream for their gifts. Um, but... Um, I was going somewhere with that. The battlefield. Somehow it tied into the, oh, being, like being a father. It's like uh, raising children? Oh my gosh. Talk about the other team on the field trying to mess you up every single day. You know, uh, being, being married and being faithful to your spouse. Uh, ha trying to have good relationships at work. Or I don't know, I think I, I have some sort of bad neighbor anointing. I, I get neighbors that hate me in every house I've ever lived in. So for some reason, there's somebody who lives next door to me that just really dislikes the way I don't do things. And, um, and so like trying to have good relationship with neighbors is so hard. This, this year, I really screwed it up. My in-laws were coming to visit for the weddings. And so I had a friend with a big fifth wheel motorhome thing. And I said, hey, why don't you back it up, put it next to my garage. It'd be a great place for my in-laws to stay for the month. Awesome. And, uh, and so he's trying to back it in there and can't quite get it in. I go, oh, just pull in the neighbor's yard. It'll be fine. You know, it's not that nice of a yard anyway. And that was wrong. <laughs> His, like, one-ton pickup made these ruts in their yard, and they came home, and oh, my gosh. So just be thankful I don't live next to you. <laughs> but do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, trying to have good relationship with all the people around you with some of the silly things that we sometimes do. And some of the silly things that we say, it's like staying engaged, staying like on the field 
is, is a whole lot of work, and it's not always that easy. I had a, a good friend of mine, a vineyard pastor who's been doing this for a long time, has been a mentor for years, and I was talking to him, and over the years, like me, you've probably seen a lot of people, both like in ministry settings, but you know, in business settings and in family settings, you've seen a lot of people crash and burn. I mean, I know I have. And I, I was asking my friend Steve, I go, like, what's the secret like, to not crashing and burning? <laughs> and he said two things. And they're really simple. You can remember them. You don't have to write them down. The first one was, keep showing up. And the second was, Michael, don't sin. Like, you know, don't sin. Keep your pants on. Like, don't sin. Don't embezzle money. Don't do the stupid stuff. And I'm like, really, that's the best you got, Steve? And he said, well, those two things will take you a long ways. Right? And, and so there's this, there's this battlefield. Lots of people crash and burn. And when, when, when you read through the scriptures, one of the things that you find is you find, like, especially in the New Testament, you find guys like the Apostle Paul continually encourage us to keep showing up and to not do stupid stuff, to like actually stay engaged, to stay on the field. Because like you can't win the game if you don't show up for it. You can't, like, you can't you do that. Like, listen to just, um, I didn't write these down in your notes, but listen to a couple of these phrases. Listen to a couple of things that he says here. This thought from scripture. Do you not know that in a race all the runners want, run, but only one gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Like compete in such a way as to like f- compete this thing, like win this thing, right? He says, I don't, I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I don't run like somebody who just runs aimlessly. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's like he's, he's encouraging us to show up, to engage, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And I love this line. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Not just run a little bit. Not just like, oh, I ran. But like perseverance, like press into that. Or he tells a young pastor, Timothy, who was probably in Ephesus at the time, he says, fight the, good, fight the good fight of faith. Like, fight this fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And then in his last letter to him, he says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. So here's what I want to do. Over, for tonight and then for tomorrow and Saturday, I want to I address some things that we need to know to stay engaged as men following Jesus together and really helping and encouraging other people. And then, and then I want to address, I'm not sure if I'm going to mix up the notes. Right now it's listed in your notebook on, on Saturday, but we might do it tomorrow night. I don't know. So you want to come back for both times because you have no idea what we're going to do. I want to talk about five basic lies that we believe as men that cause us to disengage. Like That's one of the things we're going to do. And on the other day, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a really good biblical job description of how to stay engaged and what as men we're called to do and how, how we're meant to be involved in, in the lives of those around us and our family and in work and church and all that stuff. And it's all summed up in two really sweet Hebrew words that I've come to love over the years. And so that's one session. What we're going to do in this other session is we're going to talk about the lies that cause us to disengage and, and, and fall away. But tonight what I wanted to do was really briefly just lay a really good foundation for like where this all comes and flows from. Because you can learn all the little tips and tricks that you want in the world. Um, I hate those blogs that are like, five ways to have your wife always love you. And I read them and I'm like, yeah, I could do all five of those things and I could still be a jerk and it wouldn't work. And so I think there's a foundational thing here that I really want to press into. And so that's what we're going to do just really briefly this evening. And then we're going to have some ministry time. And um, there'll be a lot, it'll be shorter tonight. So, so here, here's what I want to do. There are a ton of passages in Scripture that speak of us pursuing God. And I know that for me in my life, one of the things that's really helped me is to constantly remember that I am pursuing God. It's, it's kind of this dynamic tension. 
I am pursuing God with everything I've got, but I'm also being pursued. Like, I am pursuing God. Anybody ever read that old book by A.W. Tozier, The Pursuit of God? It's one of the first books I read as a really young follower of Jesus. I think I'd been following him for maybe six months, and somebody pointed that book out to me, and it rocked my world. Like, I'm pursuing, I want to pursue God with every single part of my fiber of my being. But never forget that at the very same time, he's pursuing you. It's this dual pursuit thing. And it's really good. So a couple of these passages, Psalm 42. I'm just going to read them maybe once or twice. And just let the words of scripture wash over you. As a deer pants for streams of water. I like to kind of picture these when I read them. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you let these words penetrate our hearts tonight? As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? It's pursuit. Or Psalm 63, you, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I love that picture dry and parched land. There's no water. I am thirsty for you. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Don't we sometimes get confused about what our being is longing for? We know it's thirsty. We know every part of us thirsts. Psalm 84, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord, for the presence of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts, for the presence, for where God dwells. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You know, let, let me just pause here for a moment. This, this kind of language, sometimes as guys, we can push this kind of language aside and we can say, you know, this is kind of maybe for the more artistic types, this is for the more emotional types. Like, how, how does this really fit me? And so I love uh, looking at Men who have followed God in history and had deep encounters, like life-changing encounters with him that totally rocked them. It helps me to figure out, as a guy, how am I relating to God? How do I relate to him? Not only from the pages of scripture, but from the pages of history. Like really phenomenal men who have had deep encounters with God that have completely changed them. Like one of the greatest geniuses of the last millennium is a man named Blaise Pascal. Pascal was a, a French mathematician. He was born in June of 1623. He actually invented the first calculating machine. Like if you ever took college courses, and if you ever took like calculus in college, he's the guy you had to thank for that. He kind of created that whole mess. I'm an artist, so you know, you know calculus. You know, he's probably, in Western history, one of the top maybe two or three greatest intellectuals in kind of Western civilization history. So on a November night in 1654, he had such a profound and deep encounter with God that turned kind of this distant, dry faith that he had had for years into this gripping sense of mission and devotion. 
Like he met God. He was profoundly and unmistakably converted to following Jesus on that November night in 1654. And he wrote it down on a piece of parchment and he sewed it into the lining of his jacket and he kept it with him like right at close to heart for the next eight years until he died. He had this thing with him all the time. And in your notes, it's just like a little piece of that. You can go online and Google his name and you can find the whole thing. But I, I just love this. He writes, Year of Grace, 1654, Monday, 23 November, Feast of St. Clement. I didn't even know St. Clement had a feast. From about half past 10 at night to about half an hour after midnight. He writes in a single line, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certitude, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ. My God and your God. He ends up, he ends up finishing this thing off writing joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. May I never be separated from him. He's sitting in his room alone. And suddenly he has this encounter with God and his love. This awesome experience with the living God that radically changes his life. And he highlights over and over again how deeply loved he is. And how much joy has filled every part of his being. Blaise Pascal. And this guy's brilliant. Or there's the, going back a, you know, centuries before that was Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest teachers of the Roman Catholic Church that he'd ever, you know, has ever seen. A great thinker, brilliant philosopher. He's best known for a work called Summa Theologica where he's like attempting to sum up all of thoughts about God, like everything about God. And everybody just thought this guy's brilliant. He's getting older and older and older. Right before he dies, his, his friends and his colleagues are encouraging him, like, finish this book, finish this book, this is brilliant. And he has such an encounter with God that this is what he writes. Thomas Aquinas, got like huge brain. He says this, I can do no more. Such things have been revealed to me that all I have written seems as straw. I await the end of my life. <laughs> we might say, oh, dude, he needs an antidepressant. Right? But he had such an encounter of God's grace and his love that everything piled together, all the stuff that he had ever done, he says, it seems like straw. One of the greatest brains the church has ever seen. Or I love the words of Charles Finney. Charles Finney lived in the uh, 1700s, born at the end of the 1700s, died in 1875. He was a Presbyterian minister. One of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening in the United States has often been called the father of modern revivalism. And uh, he, he, tell, he, he writes this. He says, in, in one period of his life, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression, like, wave, like a wave of electricity going through me and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves, Waves, a famous quote, liquid love, for I could not express it any other way. He goes on to say, no words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I do not know, but I should say, I literally barreled out, barrel, bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after another, until I recollected and cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear it anymore. Yet I had no fear of death. I wonder what your experience has been. Just as we're like here tonight, I wonder what your experience has been with God's love, with God's presence. Like, this is one of those things for me that I've come back to over and over and over again. There's a passage in 1 John 3, 1 that says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. How great is the love 
the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, exclamation mark. And then he says, and that is what we are, exclamation mark. The Apostle John. I wonder what your experience with God's love has been like. About three and a half years ago, my wife and I like to ride motorcycles, only we do it very differently. When I go on a motorcycle trip, I usually pack a whole bunch of stuff on, like my hammock, you know, and, and, uh, and I just travel. Like, I, I love riding like a thousand miles in a day, and I just have a blast, you know, and the bugs are everywhere, and I stink of dead insects when I get to where I'm going, and I lay in my hammock, and I just smile. And, and then when my wife comes with me on a motorcycle trip, we travel like, you know, two, three hundred miles, and we go visit friends for three days, and we travel like another 200 miles and go visit some more friends for three days and we eat lots of good food and we just don't like you don't wear out any tires that way and so I was on a trip a couple summers ago so we kind of go back and forth so I was on a trip with my wife and we went to visit some friends in Des Moines Iowa they're vineyard pastors and a few years ago the, the the wife of the couple had had a bout with leukemia that was so incredibly um, powerful. I mean, it was so destructive in her life that the whole family was gathered around her saying their goodbyes at the hospital. And then God showed up and, like, she has no signs of it today. You know, she was, like, completely healed. But that totally changed the way they related to their adult children. Totally changed the way they relate to their kids. And so Brenda and I go down to visit. They're, like, best friends with Brenda, and I knew them a little bit kind of in passing. I had never sounded with them. I, I forgot we had that, man. That was like, I wondered why we were so connected, you know. <laughs> That's the thing we do in Minnesota. It's how you stay warm in the winters. And uh, so we went down and we hung out with these friends and we're hanging out. We're there for like, I don't know, like a day and a half, something like that before we were riding on somewhere else. And I noticed that there's this thing that happened every time one of their adult kids walked into the room. Like every single time one of their adult kids walked into the room, uh, the mom and the dad would get up they would walk over to them. They would give them a great big hug. They would kiss them on the side of the cheek or, the, or you know, on their neck. They would look them in their eye, hold them by the shoulders, look them in their eye and say, I love you. I love you. And then we'd go sit down and we'd keep doing what we're doing. And it wasn't like they did that once a day. It was like pretty much every time that they like went out somewhere and they came back, they would do that again. And I remember sitting there, and I've learned to pay attention to this in my life over the years of following Jesus, pay attention to what you resist, what annoys you. And I found myself just being annoyed. Like seriously, this is like puppies in a box licking each other. <laughs> right? I'm a guy, I like hugging my kids. Like I got doing that, but like every time you gotta get up and walk across the room and give them a big hug and give them a kiss on the side of the neck and look them in the eye and say, I love you. And, it's like, okay, I got it already. You know the story of the one guy who got married and his wife said, how can you never say you love me? He said, hey, I told you I love you when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Like, I'm not that bad. Like, I'm not that guy, right? That might have been my grandpa, but that wasn't me. But I found myself getting annoyed about this. And then, like, the next morning, we all get up, we go out to breakfast together. This is happening again. And finally, like, we're getting ready to leave. And I'm putting on my motorcycle helmet, and I could feel this emotion bubbling up in me, this deep emotion. And I thought, I got to get on the bike. I have a black motorcycle. I got a black helmet, and I got a dark face shield. And I thought, and I'm going to put on my sunglasses so nobody can tell what's going on inside there. And uh, I get on the bike. We start pulling away, and I just start weeping. And, and... Um, and I just am overcome with emotion the whole freaking day, right? We stop for gas, and I just crack open my face shield because I'm like, I'm crying. So I just crack it open a little bit, and I put gas in my bike. I put gas in Brenda's bike. She says, you okay? And I'm like, yep. She says, uh, you sure? You doing all right? I go, yep. Do you want to talk or get something to eat? Nope. All right, should we keep riding? Yep. <laughs> we get back on, and, and we're actually driving to this Benedictine monastery, and I'm supposed to teach like a, this weekend stuff to vineyard worship leaders on the character of God, the attributes of God, and I'm like getting undone here. And, 
And, and finally, rather than just choking back the tears, I start kind of asking the Lord, like, what's this about? Like, why, why watching puppies in a box looking at each other has affected me like this? I don't understand what's going on with me right now. And I felt like my Heavenly Father said this. He said, Michael, what you saw is how I feel about you. That's how I feel about you. Like, every time you turn to me, I give you a hug. This is not helping my crying, by the way. Every time you turn to me, I give you a hug. Every time you just utter my name and begin to pursue me, I'm right there pursuing you. Like every single time I look you in the eyes and I say, Michael, I love you. Do you know, one of the scariest things, David Benner wrote a book called Surrendered to Love. Great book little book if you don't like reading long books this one's only like I don't know 80 pages it's a great little book and uh, in there he talks about one of the scariest things that we can do as human beings is to surrender to unconditional love it's unconditional do you realize that God no matter what you do you can't get God to love you more than he already does because he loves you the fullest extent possible doesn't matter what you do doesn't how much you doesn't matter how much you obey him today or tomorrow or do what he says he loves you it has outcome in your life absolutely but there's nothing you can do to make him love you less there's nothing you can do to make him love you more because his love has never been based on what you do it's always been based on who Jesus is and what he's done you can't increase it or decrease it it's there and it's unconditional and there's nothing more scary than surrendering to that as I'm riding the motorcycle that day, I feel like by the end of the day, like, like I'm in this whole different place. I feel like I'm, I could write some of these things I just read from Charles Finney or Boyce Pascal. It was like an amazing day three and a half years ago that I've been living in the reality of ever since in a really powerful way. That our Heavenly Father loves us. Like you're never going to stay engaged on the battlefield. You're never going to stay engaged in marriage and parenting. You're never going to stay engaged in the, in the work that God's called you to, no matter where that is, unless you deeply, deeply know that you're loved. And as I reflected on that, as we were riding back home, like the end of that week, I felt like, I wonder if my kids know how loved they are by me. And so I thought, I'm going to try this experiment. Because my office and Brenda's office are kind of like, like two corners, right? And so when they walk into Brenda's office and have these really cool, my two boys, one's 27 and one's 23, when, when they walk by to go to Brenda's office and have these really cool long conversations, they pass by my office and wave and they know I'm busy and they don't really stop and bug me unless they want money. Right? And then they stop and go, hey, Dad, can I have 10 bucks? I'm like, what'd you do with the last 10 bucks I gave you? Dad, that was last week. Like, okay, yeah, well, I don't know. And so, they don't really do it like that. I just made that part up. <laughs> Not as much anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, I wonder what it would do to them if no matter what was going on, no matter what I was doing, who I was meeting with, no matter what was happening, if I just got up and walked over to them and gave them a big hug and looked them in the eye and said, I love you, and gave them a kiss on the side of the cheek or on their neck, I wonder what it would do to them. And I thought, I'm going to try that. Because I feel like God is working me over with his love. And I thought, when I get back home, I'm going to try that. And so the very first time, they're like walking by, they wave, and I go, hey, wait, come here. And they come in my office, I jump up, I give them a big hug. You know, I look them in the eye, I tell them I love them, and they're kind of like looking at me like this. And, and I give them a big kiss on the side of the neck, and I give them a hug, and, and then sit back down and go back to work. And it was kind of like hugging ironing boards. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've ever hugged an ironing board, but I hadn't until that day. And it was, it kind of felt like that. Like I was hugging ironing boards. Like they were stiff as a rock. They didn't know what to do. But I noticed that I did that. Like I was doing that. I was committed to that every single time I saw them. And within a month or so, I noticed that they were stopping by my office on a regular basis. Like they don't have a reason to stop by the vineyard. They don't work there. But they were stopping by on a pretty regular basis. And they'd just walk right into my office and stand there. And I'd be, oh, 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 you know, and I'd get up and I'd 
hug them and I give them a kiss and tell them I love them. And I was watching what love did to them. And it totally changed who they were. It changed their personality the same way that my Heavenly Father's love was changing mine. And it was changing like our lives together. And, uh, and now it's like, like they expect it. Like they stop in my office, then they go have a chat with Brenda, and then they stop in my office. Like they're getting like double hugs on their way out the door. And then in the middle of a lobby full of like, you know, hundreds of people on a weekend at our church, they just walk right up to me like ready to go. It's like, it's been amazing watching the way that love transforms them. Unconditional love is the most transforming thing in the universe. Absolutely crazy. So here's what I want to invite us into. I want to invite us into an experience of that this evening. I want to invite us into some ministry time. Do you guys know this little verse from Psalm 23? Verse 6. Surely your goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One pastor, John Piper, writes about it like this. He says, picture God like a highway patrolman, like a cop with a cool hat. And he's chasing you down. Sirens are flashing. I mean, the sirens are blaring. The lights are flashing. Whatever's doing whatever. And he's chasing you down, not to give you a ticket, but to love on you. Like, how much easier would it be to pull over? <laughs> like, in fact, you wouldn't have to pull me over. Like my boys, I'd just be driving to the police station all the time. I'd find that on my way to work. Like, yeah, it's like six miles out of the way. But I don't care. It's worth it. Like, I love the way that he says, his goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Do you realize that's true? And all the ways that we try to count ourselves out of that picture are lies from the other team on the field. All the ways that we try to say, well, not me. Like, you don't know what I've done. I think our Heavenly Father would say, oh, no, I know exactly what you've done. But this has never been about you. This has always been about my son, Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to have you guys stand up. I'm going to have uh, JT, the man, come on up and just provide a little worship background. And I just want to invite, and I'm going to step off this cool golden stage and, uh, and um, just invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and just rock our worlds a little bit. Because I kind of feel like Father God wants to do that exact thing. He wants to hug us. He wants to tell us that he loves us. And so here's a trick I learned early on in the vineyard. I didn't realize my dad taught me long before I met the vineyard was that when I come to God asking for something, I usually put my hands out. You know, um, I'd, I'd come to God periodically and ask for the car keys. And I don't know why, but he always gave them to me. Like, <laughs> that wasn't smart. But he just like put them in my hand. He gave them to me. And I expected it. And so when I'm coming and asking for his love, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just putting my hands out and I'm saying, Lord, would you love on me tonight? Like if I don't know your love, God, I'm going to make a lot of stupid choices in my life. I'm going to be disconnected from the people who most need me. I'm not going to be able to give what you have to give. I'm not going to be able to be the man you've created me to be. I'm not going to be able to stand up under pressure when the other team on the field slams their helmet into my chest and breaks a couple ribs, like, I'm just going to melt away. Lord, I need to know your love. And so, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And we just come to you as, as sons. We just come to you as men who uh, really need your love in really powerful ways. Father, we confessed that for many of us, if not all of us, that we've often 
like felt such a lack of that love. We felt so thirsty that we've tried to cram a whole lot of other stuff into that spot, thinking it's going to meet our needs, and it never has. It just never has. And so, Father, would you come right now? Just come, Lord. Invite your presence. invite the presence of the resurrected Christ, the Holy Spirit in our midst. Would you look us in the eye and would you say, I love you. (laughs) I love you. As we begin to experience God's love, he'll often bring to mind things that we need to repent of. Paul writes, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So when that stuff comes to mind, I just say, you're right, Lord. You're right. I was an idiot. I turn to you now. Apostle John writes that when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. The reason it's the faithful and just thing for God to do to forgive us when we confess is because Jesus already paid for it. So if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, to wash us all in righteousness and so Lord we're here to be washed in that incredible love would you wash us tonight come Lord just give us a grace right now Lord just to lean in just to press in to not settle for a quick hug This is the foundation. This is the source of everything that we want to do, that we want to accomplish. Like this is where it all finds its like meaning, its source, its beginning, its end is all right here. And this experience of being loved by God. You feel resistance to God's love. For some of us, we feel this resistance. We're just like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. It's really good to ask Him, like, why do I feel resistance to this? Why do I have these negative feelings about this? If that's you. Just ask Him that. I have found it so helpful just to have conversations with Him about it.
So Lord, would you release even more of your presence right now? Would you let that transforming, unconditional love, would you unleash that in our hearts and in our minds? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Thank you for your adoption into your family. Thank you that we get to be your sons. That we get to experience that full, complete, unconditional acceptance and welcome. Thank you for your open arms. Thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. There's no power. There's no physical thing. The Apostle Paul wrote at the end of Romans 8, there is nothing, nothing above, nothing below, that can separate us from your love. So allow us to experience that even more. Would you allow this to be the bedrock, the foundation, the unshakable, unmovable, earthquake-proof foundation for our lives, Heavenly Father. This is it. This is it. You know, I just think, oh, just think in the, in the wisdom of God, I just turned around and looked, uh, just looked around the room and just, in the wisdom of God that there's, there's some guys here like this is this is frightening to to have this you know to, to talk about God this way and to and to uh, it's just a frightening place to be I don't know how to say it any different but I just I thought in, in the wisdom of God there's some men here that he's like running up to you and just jumping on you and just bear hugging you and I saw there's some men that it was like it's like for whatever reason he was approaching you like you would approach a deer just this gentle, slow movement towards you. And I just want to encourage you, like, we're going to take some time. We're, you know, we're hoping to wrap up around 8.30, so we've got some time. But we just want to bless what God is doing because just all over the room, he's just coming close to people in, in different ways. And what we want to do to, to do that is to pray for one another. Is If you're standing there right now and you're like, and the, and the phrase in my mind is, in your heart you're going, I know you love me and I'm good. Like, there's just a sense of I'm good. I want to encourage you to turn, look around the room, and just whoever God points out to you to go and, and pray for that person. We just want to take some time. And Danny, do you have a word? Um, but does that make sense? Pretty straightforward. I mean, we're the ministry team. We get to pray for each other. So, uh, Danny, why don't you share us, and then we'll start to pray for one another. Yeah, I'm just quite sure that there are probably a lot of us here today who... 
in hearing Michael share about, you know, his relationship with his kids and it, it makes you very keenly aware that that's not something that was, was true of you and your relationship with your father. There was sort of a, 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 a deficit, a, a hole there that you, you, you never received that father's blessing on your life in, in any shape or form. I, I feel like that, that's part of what God is wanting to do tonight is to, to release the, the father's blessing but to, to release that through, through other individuals. So if, if you, because sometimes we're, we're formed, we, we, not having our own Father's blessing, we, we can't even assume or, or imagine getting our Heavenly Father's. And I, I just want to encourage you, if that's something that you've never received, to come forward and maybe some of the older guys here uh, like me can just lay hands on and, and just bless those, those other men uh, with that, that, the Father's blessing, both a human Father as well as a Heavenly Father's blessing, okay? So just come forward and we'll pray for you. And as Michael said, and, and Michael said, you can just be praying for each other as well. Some of you gray-headed men, come on up here and let's just pray for these other guys.
So we're going to uh, wrap up, and, and um, there's a group of guys who are wanting to go for pizza. So we, uh, <laughs> church humor. But, uh, um, you know, if you're standing there tonight and you're like, man, I wish someone would have prayed for me. There's, you know, some of us are going to linger at the front here. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. Don't, please don't leave. We'd, we'd love to, you know, we'll take some time to, to pray. But uh, we start again tomorrow night. Uh, seven o'clock and again we won't there won't, there won't be dinner provided but uh, we'll be meeting in here at seven and uh, please take your uh, notes with you okay don't leave them here um, uh, we have a, uh, a a gerbil and goat group that meets here on Friday mornings okay I thought that was pretty creative but uh, maybe not but uh, take your notes with you but let me just pray for us and bless us and then and then uh, we'll wrap up for tonight so, Lord, thanks for uh, just the work you've done tonight. I pray that as we, you know, go home and go to uh, lay our heads on our pillows, that you would just remind us again of your love for us. Lord, in just all the ways that you've been coming close, we just say yes to what you're doing. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for your love and uh, just for what you started tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.